you started perfecting your advertising that you were doing and getting a better job with it. You started paying attention to making sure your cases were getting filed. And so you were filing more cases and saw that as a part of your sales process. I mean, you did a lot of things. So don't be hard on yourself about the one or two things you didn't do because you did a lot of things that helped you build a really strong foundation. And now that bankruptcy is turning the corner again and we're starting to go up, your firm is perfectly poised to be able to take off because of those things that you did and the lessons that you learned. So, you know, congrats right. to you for taking those lessons and doing something with it. Oh, yeah. Please. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Master podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. Excited to be here today, Michael. Super excited. And we're joined by attorney Don Golden. Don, welcome on. Thank you. Glad to be here. Don Golden is another one of our EAY Entrepreneurial Attorney of the Year finalists. Don, what year was that? Was it 2019 or 20? Which one was it? 2019, I think, or 2020. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you had to present during COVID, if I'm not wrong. It was Definitely yeah. before COVID. Yeah. Definitely before COVID. Okay, good, good, good. So yeah, 2019 was the year you presented. And, and so it was probably for the 2018 year. And it was great to hear your story. And so I'm excited to share some of those insights because you've got a great story. And you're one of those rare attorneys that I've met through the years that you really had a business background first. And a little you came- I, Yeah. I had an accounting degree when I started. So before I went to law school, I had an accounting degree. Never practiced in accounting, went straight to law school, but I had the fundamentals of business. And I also grew up working in a supermarket all through high school and college. And I really felt like that provided me with a good basis to owning a consumer firm, especially a consumer law firm, catering to consumers. Yeah. Nice. Okay, well, Michael, let you kick it off for us. Yeah, and I have to say that's certainly the rarity as, you know, we've interviewed a lot of people and most of them start with an opposite format and background. So it's cool to see the different perspective of things. But Don, let's break the ice a little bit for everyone. Why don't you lead us with something that's unique about you or something people wouldn't normally know about you? Well, I'm passionate about sports and the way I spend my time, my free time, is in professional sports as a statistician in both the NFL and Major League Baseball. I get paid. I like to say that I get paid to do my hobbies, whereas other people like Mr. Richard James spend a lot of money to do their hobbies like golf, you know? <laughs> so that's the bit, that's the thing that I think is most unique about me is I really spend my spare and free time in professional sports as a statistician and I get paid for it. It's a lot of fun. Good. It's a fun way to make a few extra bucks. I don't, but so to be clear, way, I don't do it for the money though. I do it because I love it. Just getting paid is a side benefit in my opinion. I show, I always keep like a thousand dollars in my Venmo account so that my wife, my ECIB, my East Coast Italian bride thinks I get paid to play golf so that I don't get in so much trouble. By the way, something everybody might know about me is that I, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm not actually orange. Something's going on with my camera today. It has decided to make me orange. So I, you know, it is what it is. We're going to roll with it. We couldn't seem to fix it. Maybe they can fix it in post and somebody will watch this and go, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see orange. But anyway, Michael, yeah, the idea of running your hobby as a statistician in professional sports, boy, that's not something you hear every day. 
No. And I was so hoping you would share that, Don, because I know that's something that's really cool about you. And I mean, obviously, I've had the opportunity to hear some of your cool stories, some of the games you've been to. I mean, you even went out to spring training, I think, in Phoenix this last year, right? Not spring training. I did the Arizona Fall League. I did a week in the Arizona Fall League. I do spring training in Florida, though, because that's where I live. But yeah, I've done two Super Bowls in the NFL like four or five pro bowls. So it's been, it's been a fun journey. It's been, this will be my 17th year with the NFL. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's did, so did they ever awesome. Did they ever give you like a, I mean, a ring? <laughs> it's funny <laughs> you ask that because that's how I got the job, to be honest with you. When the Buccaneers won their first Super Bowl, some members of the stat crew quit because they didn't get Super Bowl rings. The cheerleaders okay. got rings. A lot of people got rings and like two of the stat crew members for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers quit because they were upset that they did not get rings. So that created the opening that I slid into. (laughs) So it was great. And of course I didn't get a ring in the last Super Bowl because up until about four years ago, we worked directly for the club. We worked for the Buccaneers, but about three or four years ago, the NFL took over the stat crews and now we work directly for the NFL. So Mm. I still deal with the Buccaneer public relations department and stuff like that, but they're not my employer anymore. It's the NFL directly. They wanted a more of an arm's length relationship with the stats. I think that's exactly what it is. Exactly. They want to be able to control how the stats are accumulated all over the league. And so they do the training that we do video training with the NFL every year. They critique us every week, you know, and so it's more consistent. The way that the stats are accumulated throughout the NFL is more consistent now because the NFL is controlling all the stat crews. And when I say controlling, I don't mean that negatively. I mean that they we are all under the umbrella of the NFL as opposed to individual clubs now. And I think it's great. I think it was a very good change for the process and for the league. Hmm. Got it. I I just think that's an awesome little hobby to have. And to Don, to your point, nice little side benefit to get paid while doing something you love. I think that's pretty sweet. So I know you shed a little light on obviously some of your start toward law, but why don't you share your entrepreneurial journey to talk a little bit about that as a law firm owner? How'd you start? Why'd you get into law practice area? If you want to share the whole nine. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in college as an accounting major, I took a business law class and in the business law class, we read a book called Gideon's Trumpet and Gideon's Trumpet is a book about basically how the right to remain silent, those types of things came about. That's the case that the book is about the case that created those rights. And it was just very interesting to me. And I got very interested in the law at that point of my college career. And I pretty much decided right then that I wanted to go into law. And it was because I got excited about a book really called Gideon's Trumpet. And so I applied and got into law school and started as soon I just left. As soon as I graduated, I started law school. And during law school, I was working at a law firm as an intern and it was an administrative law firm. They wrote briefs. I was going to school in Michigan. And so obviously the big business in Michigan is the auto industry. And the firm that I was working for, their main role was keeping utility rates low for the auto industry. So they were writing briefs to the Public Utility Commission and doing things like that. And those young associates were not real happy with their life. You know what I mean? They were they spent all their time in the office just writing briefs and doing research on public utility law. You know, it wasn't very exciting to them. And I was having lunch with one of the associates one day and he told me about a friend of his that was a bankruptcy lawyer in Chicago consumer bankruptcy lawyer. And he was telling me at how much he enjoyed the practice of consumer 
consumer bankruptcy law. So I pretty much decided in my second year of law school that I was going to be a consumer bankruptcy attorney. And I took <laughs> bankruptcy, bankruptcy courses in law school and stuff like that. And when I decided to move to Florida after law school, one of my friends, it's weird, I grew up in Maine, but I had a friend in Tampa. His mom knew a lawyer in Brandon, where I am now, and he was a bankruptcy slash social security disability slash general law firm. And she hooked me up with him. I met with him a couple of times. He decided to hire me. And I told him I wanted to do bankruptcy work. He said, I already got an attorney doing my bankruptcy work. So he hired me to do social security. Uh, I did social security for about six months and the bankruptcy lawyer gave his notice. And I said, I want that. He slid me right over into the bankruptcy job and I have been doing it ever since, since 1998. So I love the practice of bankruptcy law. And especially, I mean, I don't like representing businesses. You know, I like representing consumers because I feel like that is who I identify with. You know, I feel like I'm a consumer debtor attorney and I get great joy out of that. So I worked for him for about three years and, you know, I kind of felt like there was no path really to advancement. And so I took another job at a big bankruptcy mill firm, you know, where I did all the litigation work. So I was in court all day, every day doing their litigation work. And from there, I made a good connection with the chapter 13 trustee, who then I went to work for the chapter 13 trustee. And so after five years between the three jobs, I worked three years for the small firm, one year at the mill, I call it a mill, consumer bankruptcy firm, and one year with the chapter 13 trustee. I, I absolutely knew that there was no way that I was ever going to reach my financial goals unless I opened my own firm. And so that's when I decided that I would do that. And my wife was a teacher, you know, so my goal, my first year was to make enough money, or at least at, my goal was to replace her income so that she did not have to work because we'd had one child and she was pregnant with our second child. And so I really felt like if I didn't do it right then, if I didn't do it before we had our second child, I wouldn't be in a financial position where I could do it. So I made the decision that I was just going to take a leap of faith and start my firm. So I gave my notice at the chapter 13 trustees office. I started getting, because I was connected in the community, I was getting referrals right away. And I filed my first case before I even finished my notice at the chapter 13 trustees office. I met the guy at a Cracker Barrel a hundred miles away because it was a referral. And I talked to him, signed him up at the Cracker Barrel and filed this case the next week before I even finished my job with the trustee. So I started off with a case and built the firm with that one case. I had enough money to buy a computer and that's basically all that's the way I started out. That's great. Did you, I'm curious. So you knew you weren't going to make enough money to reach your financial goals being yeah. the associate. Okay. Got it. You generally saw what the pay scale was. Was there a clue when you were looking at some of the other law firm owners that there was money to be made there? Or did you have enough sense from your accounting background to do the math to go, I could be profitable enough on these cases to do this? I mean, how did you make the decision you thought being an owner was going to make you more money? Because you and I both know bankruptcy law firm owners that are paid less than what they'd make if they took a job somewhere else because yeah. they don't manage their businesses really well. So I'm curious, did you know that or did you just have a feeling or how did that work for you? I had a good idea because I was 
I got really close to the small firm owner that I was working for, although I was only with him three years. He and I had lunch together almost every single day. And he was a good guy, you know, and I learned a lot from him about business and things. I knew all, I knew everything that he did about marketing and things like that. And I didn't know all the money that was coming in, but I knew how much we were generating in the bankruptcy side because I did all of it. He did the consultations and signed them up. And then from there, I did everything else. And so I knew exactly what we were doing, what we were collecting on every case. I knew how much we were bringing in. Um, I knew how much the, we had one person doing the casework for us when, you know, kind of secretarial type person. I knew what she made. I knew it all because when I was in charge when he was gone, it was him, me and another lawyer. And it was, I was his second in, in command pretty much right away. So I, I knew everything that was going on in the firm. So I had a good idea and I was always told that the firm should make like the owner of the firm should make like a third. The associate that's doing the work should make about a third and then a third should go to expenses. That's at least what I was told. And that's what I was kind of believing. And I knew I wasn't making anywhere near a third of what we were doing for business <laughs> just on the bankruptcy side. So yeah. I had a feeling that even if those numbers were off a little bit, I could still do better on my own. That's good. That's great. insight. Very, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And I feel like that process of working in that firm kind of led to the leap because the knowledge gap was shrunk. Right? right, You were able to learn kind of what the general basis would be and what taking that leap would look like. Yeah, so, no, well, there was no question that he was an expert at that point, right? Like, so you right. knew you knew the practice area, like the back of your hand at that point. You had done enough cases, you had enough experience. There was no fear of the work right. getting done. Oh, absolutely uh, none. I mean, I was, I didn't become board certified until after I started my own firm, but I was well on. You just you had to be in practice for five years, and I wasn't in practice for five years yet, really. You know, mm -hmm. so I was comfortable because I had so many different experiences working in the small firm, working at the big firm, doing all the litigation work, and I'm telling you those cases were messed up because mm. not all the attorneys were good. You know what I mean? In that <laughs> firm. And I had to fix all the problems, you know what I mean? And most of it on my feet in court, you know? So that was a tremendous experience as far as learning how to deal with cases that were difficult because we had difficult cases because we weren't, the firm just wasn't, they didn't care really. They just wanted to make the money. You know what I mean? They wanted to get the case in, get the money because that's what the owners wanted. The owners didn't do any of the work in the firm whatsoever. They just ran the firm. Ran the it's one of the things I love about you. You understand the importance of profitability in business, but you really are in this game because you truly care about your clients. And not that every other attorney doesn't, but you are not just in it for the money, Don. That is an honest to goodness statement about you. There, there's a passion behind what it is that you do. I Truly believe that. I really do. And I, you know, I know that um, most of the lawyers that I talk to are in the same boat. They really, they want to make a living, but they do want to help people. And I think that that's great. And I think that's the way it needs to be. But definitely not everybody is that way. And that's a little bit unfortunate. But, you know, it takes all kinds to run the world, you know. So, but I appreciate you recognizing that. And I certainly feel that way. And I think most of my clients recognize that as well, too. Yeah. Well, and, that, that obviously just makes the experience with them so much more powerful, right? Because now they know they've got an attorney that cares about their situation and what they're going through. So definitely props you on that. The passion bleeds through, which is fantastic. I'm curious, Don, because you've grown. I love hearing the story of how you got to where you started, but they don't call it an entrepreneurial journey for right. nothing, right? There's highs and there's lows on the journey. So for you, what was one of those low points on the journey where you were able to take something out of it and learn something from it? 
So things went really well for me right from the get-go, really. When I started my practice, I was too late to get into the Yellow Pages, and this was long enough. I mean, some of the people watching this probably don't even know what the Yellow Pages are, but back then... That's how attorneys got cases was out of the yellow pages, you know, and when I opened the office, I was too late for that yellow page cycle. So I had to really grind it out with newspaper ads and various things like that. But once I got my yellow pages ads going, you know, I started out doing pretty well. And then 2002, this guy knocks on my door. I'd been in practice since 19. No, I just opened the firm. Actually, I just basically just opened the firm. And he knocks on my door, just cold called me and said, Hey, you need a website. And I said, what the heck is a website? And he started telling me about it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I website sounds good. So I got a website and it was, I got, I'm in Brandon, Florida. And I just kind of always envisioned myself. I wanted to own the Brandon market. Brandon is the largest unincorporated area in Florida. So we're just outside of Tampa. And we have, it's a big population here. And so I wanted to own the Brandon market. So at the time I got brandonlawyer.com. I said, that sounds like a good domain name. So brandonlawyer.com was my domain name. He built me a website and I started getting cases from this website really early on. And that was my competitive advantage because nobody else had a website. Everybody was still just putting all their money in the yellow pages, but I had yellow pages. I had my website. I had multiple oil wells, as you call it, you know? And so I started doing really well. And the first big issue that hit me was, I think it was around 2015, really, because it was just an upward path. We were just growing, 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 growing. 2015, by then everybody had a website, you know, everybody was doing Google pay-per-click and things like that. Google changed the algorithm and I just got absolutely crushed. Because at that point, I think I had pulled out of the Yellow Pages, to be honest with you, because I'm like, the Yellow Pages aren't where it's at anymore. And I was spending a good amount of money in the Yellow Pages, so I backed off almost completely. I think actually I had completely withdrawn from Yellow Pages. And I made the mistake of putting almost all my eggs in the internet basket because it was working and it had, and I was just making so much money off the website. 2015, that algorithm changed and everything just changed. And it took me a long time to figure out, I'm like, wow, we're not getting any cases. We're not getting any cases. But I wasn't doing a good job of tracking where we were getting the cases from. So it took me forever to realize that there was a problem with the website. And that was the first time that I actually had financial difficulty, really. You know, and I'm like, oh boy, we got a problem here. Hmm. So. Yeah, because in bankruptcy, Specifically, it's one of those case areas that many have this problem, but bankruptcy, PI, Social Security, if you start getting leads, stop getting leads in cases today, you don't realize the financial pain for that for six, seven, eight months. And so, right. you know, you might not, it's easy to get numbed into it because the cash flow is still coming in and the cases are going down and you go, ah, something's wrong, but I don't really know what's up. And by the time your eyes wake up to the reality that your future cash flow is going to be affected or worse, the reality doesn't happen until you realize the future cash flow is being affected. It's right. still after you fix the problem, you're six months away from a cure happening cash right. flow wise. Right. So that's a problem for a lot of law firms that have delayed cash flow when it comes to their type of practice area. So whether they take payments on their cases or they have contingency based cases one way or the other, the folks who take retainers and bill hourly, they have less of that problem. But, you know, bankruptcy is certainly one of those that do have that problem. So, yeah, I mean. You wake up and here you are. So what did you do? <laughs> I mean, I met you first off. That's the year I met you. I went to the Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey had a big event that I went to and you spoke at it and I met you. And that's when I really started to learn about 
how to, I knew how to run a business in the way that I knew how to, I really felt like I was an expert in client relationships, you know, because of my retail experience and stuff like that. And I knew generally how to get clients through advertising and stuff, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't until I really met you that I really knew how to track you know, the numbers as far as like, how many appointments do we get? How many calls, how many leads, how many sets, how many shows, how many hours? I'd never heard that before. And that's the first time I started focusing on that. And that's where things started to come to light to me. And I started realizing that where the problem was. And, uh, you know, so actually, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. I was, I went off on a No, it's okay. So yeah, no, I said, what did you do? But just as a quick one up, Michael, you don't know this, but we got, maybe you do know this, but Don and I, I'm sure you were there, Don, we got to go to Dave's house. Remember that? Yes. Yes. It was awesome. That was pretty yeah, cool, I remember right? hearing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know Don was also there, but I remember hearing you went to Dave's house. Yeah, I'm sure most people on this call get to know who Dave Ramsey is. And guess getting to – he was such an amazing host. He was right. holding umbrellas for everybody. He was pouring wine for everybody, letting you smoke his cigars. I mean, him and his wife were so gracious. They have this gorgeous home on top of this hill in Franklin, Tennessee, and they opened up their home to all of us. And we really had a great time. That was wonderful. That that, was that's the story the that I always tell from that you know i don't always agree with dave ramsey on everything that he says sure. you know and that's sure. nobody agrees with anybody on everything but that guy is genuine because and i knew it because of the way that he literally it started raining as we were getting ready to leave and he was walking the ladies out with the umbrella to the cars because he didn't want them to get wow. wet you know yeah. and so it was right then and there i said this guy's a genuine man you know he's a true person you know so it was a really cool experience yeah, it was a cool experience. And I'm forever grateful that I got to meet you. You and a couple other guys that I was able to meet there too. It was Absolutely. wonderful. That was a great opportunity for us. It's unfortunate that he doesn't do that program anymore. But sorry, Michael, I interrupted you. No, no, I think that's really cool. I, I had never heard that story. Certainly never heard the holding the umbrellas. I think that's a really cool part of that story. So Don, I know you started talking about what we call the PCLC, but I'm curious, was that moment in 2015, was that kind of your breakthrough aha moment? Or did you have another one of those breakthrough aha moments where the light bulb just went off? This is what I think people need to understand. When you are an entrepreneur, it's like a roller coaster. You're going to have ups, you're going to have downs. And when you fix one thing and things start going really well, you can kind of get comfortable, right? So I figured this stuff out a little bit in 2015. We started growing again. We started, when Rich first met me, he said, what is your goal? I said, I just want to stop the slide. I wanted to stop going down, you know? Mm -hmm. And we did that really quickly. And then we really also very pretty quickly started this, the upward rise, you know? Um, but there's always there's a lot of, I think in business, there's your one problem away from another could be, you know, a huge issue. And so there's been multiple aha moments. And usually it's because I've made a mistake, you know, and I got complacent or, you know, just did something wrong. You know, it was lost focus. And it's easy to do, especially when you start making a little bit of money. And it's nice to get kind of knocked back down again, even though it's a little painful at the time, because it puts into focus some of the things that you might have forgotten about, you know. So around 20, 2019 was probably my best year ever. I know I entrepreneur of the year, I applied for 2018, but 2019 was my by far my best financial year. 
I had grown to the point where I had two other bankruptcy lawyers and an attorney that did personal injury workers comp social security disability. So we were doing really well. And I had really stepped away. Like I was in the freedom group at that point. There's a freedom group program, you know, where you can take a full month off, you know, you're at the point in your career where you have enough money in the bank, you know, you have a certain amount of money in the bank, certain amount of freedom that you have that you can take away from your firm. And I was at that point. And I was for the month of July, I was, I didn't come into the office one time, you know, I didn't really do anything like I didn't do anything fancy, but I took the whole month of July off. And I really took the month off, you know, and the firm just it went great. You know, the sales were still there, we were still making money 2019 was awesome. But I did something that Rich teaches later on, which is don't take your hand off the knob, you know, and I most certainly took my hand off the knob, you know, and I lost track of really the everyday running of the firm, you know what I mean? Because I got comfortable in the freedom position that I was in. And that was another kind of aha moment is like, you can get to a point in your career where things are going really well, but you have to stay focused on the details. And if you don't, you're going to have a backslide. And we did. So we had a little backslide. And one of the problems was, is that I think you have correctly identified that I really care about our clients and I want to provide them with the best possible service. And when I wasn't involved day to day as much, and I don't think, I think I made a mistake in not building that culture in the firm well enough before I stepped back. You know what I mean? I felt that way. And the people that I had working for me, they're all awesome people, but they were really busy. You know what I mean? And they, I don't think I did a good enough job teaching them that the client is the reason we're here. And I think that some of our work products slid a little bit and, you know, we started having some, a few negative reviews and things like that. And it wasn't really until I came back in that got corrected. And I take, I do not blame them at all for this. This is not my staff's fault. This is my fault because I did not properly set them up to succeed. Number one, and I didn't appropriately create the culture that I wanted, you know, and I wanted them to reflect to our clients, you know, and that was another mistake that I made that I've learned from. And, you know, I'm hopefully going to get back to that point again, but not make that same mistake where, you know, I'm going to stay conscious of what's going on in the firm at all times and maintain the culture that I want for the firm. And that's my goal going forward. But that was another setback. And then just get that started, get that back on track. And then of course, COVID hit and that COVID was a massive change for everybody in the bankruptcy business. And that was a big hit to our firm. And that we got almost as low, not quite as low as we were in 2015, but we're headed that way, you know, until we recently turned it around. And I made another mistake here where I just got really conservative, really conservative when COVID hit. I was frankly nervous. I had no idea when business was going to come back around. I kept thinking it's going to come back. It's going to come back. And it really wasn't coming back. So I got just so conservative. I wasn't spending any money really on advertising, cut all my advertising down, you know, and I saw some of my friends in the program grow. And I wasn't growing. I was still going back. And I really believe it's because I just got too conservative and I did not want to spend any money on advertising or as much as I should be spending. So that was another mistake. And, it, and you know, I think I've fixed that now and we're starting to come back and I'm happy about that. And things are things are going really well again. But there's been several times in my journey that I've made mistakes. And although there's been events that have kind of contributed the reason that it took longer to recover or I had as big of a problem is because of my limitations, which I'm not ashamed to admit, and I'm looking forward to overcoming. You know what I mean? And I think that anybody that is looking to be in business for themselves has to have that mentality. 
So talk about value bombs that you just I was going to say value bombs are dropping left and right here. Oh Whoa. Goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that I mean honestly, if you don't look at things, I believe we have control over things, right? You know, I don't think necessarily things just happen. I think that we have we kind of control our fate. And we control our fate for the good and we control our fate for the bad, I believe. You know, and if things aren't going well, there's a change that we need to take to make things go better. And if we don't take that change, if we just stay back and have that same mentality of, oh, woe is me, things aren't going to get better. You have to take action. You have to take steps to move yourself in the direction of progress. And if you don't, you're going to stay where you're at. And I really believe this because I used to spend a lot of time. There was another attorney that I was friends with, and he and I used to have lunch a lot together. He owned his own little firm, and I owned my little firm, and he never could understand why I was successful and he was okay. You know, he did fine, but he wasn't that successful, you know, and he just thought I was lucky. And I'm like, no, man, I'm not lucky. You know what I mean? And I make stuff happen, you know, but the flip side of that is you also have to recognize when things aren't going well, that it's also your fault. You know, think when things are going great, it's not because you're a superstar. You're just working hard and you're doing some good things. And when things go bad, it's not because you're unlucky. It's because you're doing something wrong. You know, even if there's a change like COVID, you know, I did something wrong when COVID hit. And that's why I struggled a little bit more than some other people. You know, I still don't think I struggled as much as other people. You know what I mean? But people that I surround myself with had some no, success. You, you made a conscious choice, by the way, for the, you know, first of all, and I know you know this, but we shouldn't should all over ourselves, right? Because it is what it is. You learned your lesson. But also, I just want to point out the level of humility that you show. You've always been a humble individual, but your growth as an individual to understand what you've learned and what you went through to look at it, you know, quite frankly, in the mirror and go, what do I need to learn from this is what a lesson in being humble. So thank you for that. And Extremely you know, admirable. The sign that we should all hang over our businesses is never take your hand off the knob. You know, that was that one, I think, presentation I gave that that slogan stuck. And it seems to be the thing that's stuck in everybody's head. Never take your hand off the knob because when it's so easy to get comfortable, as you said. But, you know, Don, you made a conscious choice to be conservative. And, you know, it's possible that the guys who weren't conservative and decided to invest it could have not worked out and you could have been bubba gum shipping boat, right? It just, you made a choice and it worked out that some of the folks that decided not to be as conservative and to invest in either growing geographically or growing market share by spending more money than their competitors while they turned the advertising off, it just happened to work in their benefit. But you, it's not like you did nothing. What you did do is you strapped on the rubber gloves of your firm or you strapped on your rubber gloves. You got in the trash. You start looking through the trash to figure out what was working and what wasn't working. Right. You got personally involved. You started selling consults again to make sure you maintained your close rate. You started perfecting your advertising that you were doing and getting a better job with it. You started paying attention to making sure your cases were getting filed. And so you were filing more cases and saw that as a part of your sales process. I mean, you did a lot of things. So don't be hard on yourself about the one or two things you didn't do because you did a lot of things that helped you build a really strong foundation. And now that bankruptcy is turning the corner again and we're starting to go up, your firm is perfectly poised to be able to take off because of those things that you did and the lessons that you learned. So, you know, congrats right. to you for taking those lessons and doing something with it. Oh, yeah. Please. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So Don, you're speaking to the law firm owners, fellow law firm owners that are listening to the podcast here, whether it's a favorite book of yours, what's a book that you would recommend to them that are listening to this today? So, 
this is probably, I don't know how many attorneys you guys have interviewed, but you, this may be a common answer. But my favorite book has been Profit First, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Profit First put me in a position to have cash to, I mean, I still have cash in my profit account, you know, to this day, even though there was a couple of years I wasn't all that profitable, you know, and I still have a good chunk of cash in there. So although, you know, the firm hasn't been making a ton of money, I still have cash to operate with. And that's because I believe of the lessons I learned from the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I'm a Mike Michalowicz fan. I like a lot of his books, but Profit First is probably my number one. I'm a Mike Michalowicz fan too. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a fanboy of Mike Michalowicz. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about Joey Coleman coming up in July at the event in Virginia Beach. I think that's going to be, it's interesting. I talked to him. He has a very similar presentation style. He's a recovering uh, criminal attorney. And I talked to him about Mike and he goes, oh yeah, Mike and our good friends, we swap stories all the time about how we write our books. And so I found that interesting. I think he's going to do a really good job in July. I think we're going to enjoy his content as well. So Here's something I want people that are watching this to know, too, is this is how much I believe in taking control of your destiny, right? So I decided after I had read a few of Mike McAllister's books and he spoke at one of your, I think it was after he spoke at your first event, the first time he spoke at one of your events, I started listening to his podcast all the time. So I was listening to the Profit First podcast every, all, every week, and I said, I want to be on that show. So I just wrote him an email and sent it out. And I ended up getting on the show. So I was interviewed. I don't know if you know this or not, but I was on Mike McAllister's Profit First show just because I decided, I made the decision in my mind, I'm going to get on that show. And part of this is the things I learned from Blaine, you know, who I, Blaine Elkers, who I have met through you. And I took steps that I kind of learned from Blaine on uh, making things happen in your life. And uh, I did it. I made it happen. At, well, I didn't just make So I, what I did is I went and I found a, I think I found this on YouTube, but I found a video on how to get on podcasts, you know? So I watched that video and I made a list of the things that recommended that I do. And then I started working on my pitch, you know, and working on how I was going to get on the show. And I followed the directions in that video and it worked. I got on a show. So that was awesome. It was like one of my highlights. So. Yeah. I I love the fact that you took the power in your hands and you made it happen. You know, you reached out, you did what you needed to do to get on the show. I think that's Super cool. Don, what's got you most fired up today? Whether it's in the practice, personally, what's got you excited? Uh, What's got me really excited? I mean, right now, sales are really good. That's got me excited. But what's got me most excited is something that I think we are poised as consumer bankruptcy lawyers to be able to help a lot of people here soon. And it's really going to come in the form of student loan debt where, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this change. It's not a change in the law. It's the same standard is still there. You still have to prove undue hardship to discharge student loans and bankruptcy. But the Department of Justice made a change in the way they were going to defend the cases that were filed by consumer debtor attorneys. And I think that that's going to open the door for us to help a lot of people uh, discharge student loan debt. And I'm excited to start doing that. I've got one case that we've got signed up now. We're working towards getting ready to file. But I firmly believe that student loan debt is one of the biggest problems we're going to face as a country soon from an economic standpoint. And having some mechanism to be able to help consumers that are struggling with it, that excites me. So that's- I mean, imagine all those people that you helped get rid of the, for whatever reason, medical 
just negligence on their own part and financially a business failure, whatever it was that they ended up with a credit card or unsecured debt or whatever, or they're upside down because of a real estate market, whatever it was, you help them. But yet they still had left the hundred, $200,000 of student loan debt that was still sitting there, even though you helped them get that freedom that the United States law allows for. It exempts student loans. And so now they don't really get the fresh start they want. I mean, they get a fresh start, but they still have to carry that burden. And so giving the ability to give somebody who's a real financial hardship for one reason or another, the ability to get free, shake free or change the terms of the student loan situation, that's going to be pretty exciting. So it's a game changer in the bankruptcy industry for sure. And those bankruptcy attorneys who are willing to run with it and figure out how to put it into their practice and then leverage it in marketing and advertising and storytelling, I think that they're going to be the ones that really lead the field in your industry for years to come. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen and how it develops. Yeah, me too. Sure. So Don, please, you do not have to give out and please don't give out your phone number. A lot of people listen to this, but if someone wanted to get in touch with you to just learn a little bit more about the story or reach out and say great work outside of the comments that we'll have people post on here, what's the best way for them to do that? Through the website? Is that what you mean? Like, However, you, you do you want them to email you or do you prefer to just go through the website and email your generic email? What would you like them to do? Oh, so they can go to the website, www.brandonlawyer.com, as I said earlier. Or, I mean, they could also email me directly at don at brandonlawyer.com. Cool. Hey, Michael, this has been a good one. I mean, talk about the value bombs dropped out of here that Don was able to share with everybody from the, the journey and then the mistakes that you know, he takes personal ownership of making and maybe how to help them avoid those mistakes too. This is a great episode. I'm leaving fired up. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a good episode when everyone that's asking the questions is leaving fired up too. So Don, I appreciate that. And for those of you law firm owners that are listening to this, we've got what we call the gentleman's agreement around here. And what that is, if this is not your first time listening or watching to the show, but you're getting value from this, all we ask for in return, we put our time, money, and resources into putting this podcast together. We just ask that you make sure you like, you comment down below. Let us know if you have any questions for Don. And whatever platform you're listening or watching on, hit that subscribe or follow button and turn those bell notifications on. And if you find value, share it with your peers. That's all we ask for in return. But Don, I just want to thank you. I think this was a super helpful episode for all the law firm owners that are listening to this. Great work and lots of value bombs dropped, as we said. Yeah, I second that, man. I appreciate you. What a great value you just gave to all the law firm owners that are listening. I appreciate you for doing that. And I love your heart. So thank you for being on today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fun.